John, founder of Bali EcoStay. How are you doing? Really good, thanks. Thanks, Mark. Well, yeah, thank, thanks for inviting me on. No, I, uh, I know it's been a tough time for everyone with, uh, with COVID hitting and stuff like that. But at the same time, I, I kind of get a sense that people are, are waking up to, uh, to the things that really matter. And I don't know, in, in some sense, they're probably kind of understanding the, the importance of, of nature and reconnecting with the land and reconnecting with food supplies and just being the master of your own domain a little bit. So your, your story is an interesting one in that case. Um, I know you... Uh, are you there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, your story is an interesting one because I know you uh, you grew up in Australia, right? Yes, Tasmania, actually. Yeah. Oh, in Tasmania. Um, and then you were you were in the restaurant business for quite some time in Australia, I believe. And at some point, you you yeah. you made you made a decision to uh, to make a big move over to Bali. Yeah. Well, that was the you know that was in two. Um, 2008, after the GFC, uh, I was I was managing uh, managing a restaurant, and you know it just became uh, just too stressful, basically, because you know because of the global financial crisis, we had to cut down on staff and trim things down, and it just became really really stressful. So um, I I decided after 30 odd years that I'd had enough, and we went on a trip around. Took, took the family, uh, my wife and my five-year-old at the time, we, we went on a trip around Australia to find a new direction and ended up in Bali, go figure. And um, been the best thing I've ever done. So, uh, yeah, leave with an open mind and an open heart and, and you never know what's going to happen. No, it's quite interesting because I, I do see some parallels between the global financial financial crisis and what's what's going on now. So, so obviously something about the global financial crisis at that time um, I don't know. It triggered you, I suppose, or, or it it made you realize that uh, that maybe there's more to life. I'm not quite sure what it was about the global financial crisis. Uh, was it just that business was tough in Australia, and you just wanted to try something different, or was there a, a deeper realization that, hold on a second, what am I doing with my life? Like, if if everything goes to shit, basically, like, uh, what am I left with? So I don't know. Was there like a deeper realization, or was it just like, hey, you know, let's try something different? Well, was it? You know, a combination of quite a few things, really. It was, it was the, you know, the hard slog of the restaurant um, day in, day out, I guess, and having to, having to, you know, really thin down and getting rid of staff. Plus, I was 54, you know, so the old body was starting to wear out and I knew that I couldn't run around a restaurant floor for much longer. So that was a big, you know, motiv- motivating factor. And, and, my, and my five-year-old was being, <laughs> being bullied at, at kindergarten and my wife had been renovating houses and she was, you know, she was ready for a change as well. So um, it was, you know, a combination of lots of things. And uh, we just left with a completely open mind. And um, yeah, as I said, it, I ended up living in Bali. We actually, we were halfway through the trip and we camped next to um, this family in Kakadu who happened to have their very original eco lodge in, in, in Bali and got chatting with them. And, and as we were leaving to, you know, continue on our trip, uh, Norm, who who was the founder of the of, of the original Eco Lodge in Bali, said, "Well, you know, when you finish your trip around Australia, if you still don't know what you want to do, come and visit us." So six months later, we finished our trip and still didn't have a clue. So we jumped on a plane, and and that was the beginning of this, you know, grand adventure. That's um, been a wonderful experience. Yeah, and Norm right. and Linda and the kids are still great friends of ours, and we we sort of help each other and collaborate. And they're only fifty minutes away from us, so. Um, 
Yeah. Right. So was Bali Eco Stay established at that point, or or did you have a hand in? No, in, no, no. We we actually spent a month looking around and couldn't find anything, and then we came back to say goodbye to Norman Linda with the tail between our legs, and uh, met, and I was chatting to their chef actually, saying that we love the whole concept and we'd love to go ahead, but we can't find anywhere. And she just happened to say, "Oh well, you know, before you leave in a couple of days, come and come and um, we've got some land you may be interested in." So the next day, I was sort of where were bit fed up with looking and we were you know fairly dejected about the whole process but anyway we came down and lo and behold it was just perfect it had the river running through it a 12 meter waterfall spring water coming oozing up out of the ground and it just um we, sh we shook hands within 15 minutes oh, wow. went back home sold everything up in a three months and while we we're away we got the locals to build a couple of bungalows um and they did such a fabulous job that we got them to, to build a whole resort, which they proceeded to do in nine months. Um, just local people, they built the doors, the windows. We were going to get to build the, all the furniture and bedding, and et cetera, too, but we ran out of time. So um, we had some people down in Krobakan build those. But yeah, it's just fallen into place. It's been a very serendipitous experience, yeah. So um, I know there are a lot of expats and tourists that come through Bali, but most tend to hang out around, you know, Seminyak, Changu, Uluwatu, Kuda, uh, Ubud. Um, so you're about two and a half hours, I think, northwest of Ubud or thereabouts. Um, but, but a good one and a half, yeah. one and a half hours. Yeah. Uh, yeah north yeah. of Ubud. So yeah. it is, it, it is quite a remote area. I mean, I've, I've stayed there as well. Um, it is quite remote, but I, I don't know how many tourists or expats actually pass through the local communities there. So I guess I'm interested to know how were you received? You know, this Aussie guy from Tasmania going through a kind of like a bit of a phase. He's sold everything up in Oz, finds a piece of land, buys it, you know, shake hand agreement with the original owner and all of a sudden you're there and you're part of the community like you're one of them more or less. Like, were you received well? Were, were they welcoming? Were there any kind of like cultural, uh, I wouldn't say tensions, but cultural sensitivities that you had to deal with or anything like that? <laughs> Look, the, the, the Balinese are the most mad people. I mean, I'm sure that's why people, why Balinese is one of the most popular tourist destinations on the planet because of the Balinese cultural psych you know they're just so welcoming and hospitable and um i sort of worry sometimes that they're too much so because the you know the place has gone nuts with tourism but i think this whole pandemic has has you know that they, they use that reset word it's you know, reset everyone's idea and even even the bureaucrats now are thinking that it's time to reset and we've got to, you know not um not build all these humongous hotels and start you know getting back to nature as you mentioned before and, and so we're so we're really well positioned um and we've been getting a lot more expats local expats coming previous we, it was pretty much tourism and you know for instance this year we had 27 retreats booked, um and luckily most of them have transferred to next year but it's becoming yeah people just people don't lie around the pool anymore they want to come and have an experience and you know, being up here in the mountains, we've got the we've got the really open, warm-hearted Balinese who are only too happy for you to come along and and go to their ceremonies, go into their house, they'll show you around. They're, you know, they're absolutely amazing, and they've welcomed um, welcomed you know me and the family with with you know open arms. It's been an amazing experience, and you know, I mean, I wouldn't say I was an incredible. I wouldn't say I was totally immersed in the culture because it's there are certain things that you just don't understand and you know they don't really understand the way I think and and it, but it's and you know and culturally as far as their 
their spirituality is concerned, it's, mm. you know, um, very, very complex. Uh, I mean, it's, it's an offshoot of the, of the Indian Hindu religion, but there's a lot of Buddhism and um, uh, animism, and uh, it's, a, it's a combination of lots of things, but it's a, you know, beautiful. Uh, there are beautiful people and very, very accepting and not judgmental. And um, um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been an amazing experience. And, and we had the landowner as the manager and his wife used to be the chef until her, her um, legs were playing up. So she now works in the office a little bit. And, um, and, and they have picked all the staff because um, they know all the ins and outs of village life and they've made sure they've selected staff from different villages so we've got staff from the surrounding six villages because every village has different ceremony days if you had everyone from the same village you wouldn't have any staff at all right, so right, yeah so, um and then then you'd have to put up with my cooking which is not a great thing <laughs> to experience um so yeah i mean that they've and we've all the staff are still here you know we've got a few extra ones because of you know the intensive gardening that we do but um yeah amazing you there john i am i i am now maybe we have to knock off the video yeah Michael, let's, because let's, let, let, yeah let's switch off the video and then try that again okay right, okay there you go see how we go okay let's try that okay we'll try that again um yeah, and I was just suggesting that uh, your integration into the community, I mean, it really does feel like you're one, one big family and, and they've accepted you as such. And I, I see even, even on the website, you refer to some of your staff as, as part of your extended family. So it kind of certainly feels that way. But, but yeah, I mean, they're two, two completely different cultures and you've been able to kind of like fit in, uh, I wouldn't say seamlessly, but pretty comfortably. Yeah, yeah, no, it's been... And they're just so, they're just so accepting of, um, of everyone, really. And... Um, I mean, as long as you, I mean, as long as you contribute to the to the Bunjar, which is the village council, and uh, contribute in in labour and and uh, and financially, um, well, then you're well, well, then you are accepted. I mean, people that don't, and and as long as you um, show an interest and go to the big ceremonies, which I really enjoy. I mean, I love going to the ceremonies. They're you know they're you know, goosebumpy stuff with the with the music and the and the flags and the and the um, deep and the you know the just the reverence that they give to to their gods and um, and you know that they really although it doesn't seem like it they really they have a thing called tree tree hutta karana which is you know paying homage to the environment homage to the human humanness and then human and then homage to the spirituality. It's the tri, the triangle of, of taking care of everything. And it's and they, although when you look around sometimes with the amount of plastic that's around, you wonder whether they. But you know, um, I mean, a lot of the old older Balinese still don't get that the you know plastic. They just think it's like a banana leaf and it'll break down. But um, anyway, things are improving and there's new plastic exchange programs. During this pandemic, there's been a huge push to to get rid of the plastic on the island and now you know one kilo of plastic will give you one kilo of rice so um and the government's very much on board they've banned plastic bags from all the supermarkets maybe not quite so much with the traditional markets because you know it's really expensive plastic is still very cheap to you know cart things around in but it's gradually moving and changing 
and all the hotels are on board now with you know moving into a more environmentally conscious way and of course you know 80 percent of um, uh, people on the island are, are, are employed by hospitality so a lot of them have gone back to growing things and uh, things are changing yeah and it's um so the pandemic's brought a lot about a lot of a lot of tragedy but also you know it's taken people back to the land which is which is a fabulous thing really yeah no i mean i mean it's interesting i and and i guess it's it's a pretty good segue into the whole concept of eco or sustainable tourism as well um i mean you see a lot of properties out there that claim to be eco or sustainable but perhaps they have a different understanding i'm not quite sure if 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 there is a standard industry um understanding of what eco sustainable tourism means and and I, I suppose when people are looking to book a say a, a sustainable holiday or or stay at an eco eco lodge or are there any particular things they should look out for uh, or to be wary of because uh, it's become a bit of a marketing tool as well you know people proclaim to be eco when they're probably not so are, are there like little markers that people should kind of be wary of or, or look out for when they're looking at, at kind of if they want to embark on more sustainable tourism and, or, or stay at an eco lodge um yeah are there kind of industry markers that they should look out for are there industry standards uh, that would make yes it? i mean there, there are various ratings that you um but i mean people for instance there's you know huge hotels that are green globe certified which is the biggest sort of organization for um green certification but i mean it makes you wonder you know they've got white sheets white sheets for a starter and i know because it means you have to use bleach to keep them clean and you know they've right. they've got little, little little they've got individual soaps and um shampoos and conditioners and little plastic things and you know it's just that's just not not sustainable so you you know you need to make sure that they're not using single use plastic bottles to supply water with you um there are you really don't know until you go to a place um, personally that, you know, um, that they're going to be eco or not um, because there are so many different standards as far as certification goes. Um, so, you know. Yeah. I mean, look, when, when I was traveling in Thailand, I remember, I, I remember I was in Northern Thailand and I was staying on like a, it was an organic farm more or less a organic, organic rice field with some lodges and, and so forth. And I was talking to some of the local farmers and they were telling me the issue about getting uh, certified organic, right? So certified organic has kind of become an industry standard, but it's actually quite expensive, you know? So, so a lot of these farmers actually couldn't go through the process because they couldn't afford it. Um, so it, it kind of like um, isolated them or alienated them from the industry because they couldn't promote their stuff as certified organic because that becomes now a legal term, right? So there are these kind yes. of in industry practices and it, f it feels like the smaller guys that can't pay for that certification or pay for that industry standard kind of get left behind. But that doesn't necessarily mean that if you don't have that certified organic that you're not, you know, you're not um, embarking on sustainable or sustainable or, or organic practices, I suppose. And I think the way the ties at the time worked around it is they would use terms like purely natural or 100% natural or um perfectly natural or just just to get around the legal kind of thing so when you tell me that you've got these massive hotels that are getting these i don't know certifications from in like international bodies i mean how does that affect the smaller guys that are kind of like setting up a little camp or they have like a homestay or whatever it might be they they may not necessarily be able to afford to go through that process is that an issue well yeah i'm sure um i mean it was certainly 
it's certainly been an issue with us because, you know, for instance, Green Globe certification is 5,000 US a year to be certified. And right. We actually got together with the four different eco-lodges around the island to see if we could get, get a discount, but they weren't interested at all. But that was a few years ago now, and there are, there are, there are various other um, certification systems now. And, and, and this, this group that's coming to, to stay with us every, every weekend currently are going to have their own certification system that doesn't cost anything, and they're going to offer it to people around the island. But unfortunately, there are, you know, there's no organic certification on Bali um, currently or, or in Indonesia currently. Um, you know, we could, although we've been growing everything on at Bali Eco State organically for 10 years now, because of rice paddies that are reasonably close that are not grown organically and, and they still use Roundup and various sprays oh, on, right. on the paddies that we, we couldn't call ourselves totally organic. Um, even though we, you know, on the property, we certainly have been um, growing organically and, and, you know, we use all the permaculture principles and, you know, um, we, we, we stick to the eco lodge basic principles as well. Whereas, you know, we, we, we would not, we would not buy the land indigenous people because that's considered unethical as far as eco lodge ethos goes and various other considerations. You would never have single use plastic or, and you'd be recycling as, as much as possible and measure, measure your waste, uh, measure your, your electricity consumption and water consumption and, and uh, uh, all that sort of thing. Um, but you really don't know, you know, even as I said before, if, even if a place is certified, unless you go and check it out for yourself, you really don't, don't know that it's true blue or not. Yeah. I mean, but even then, I mean, I know I've spent quite a lot of time in Bali as well. And, um, and you know, when I, when I speak to some of the rice farmers, is it true that like a lot of them get provided the seeds from like, you know, Monsanto? Yes, they get provided the seed and, and, and the pesticides and the, so and the, the seeds are like GMO, like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're. Yeah, they're, I don't. I don't. Not sure that they're genetically modified. Well, they probably are if they're from Monsanto. I'm not. Yeah, we 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 use and quite a few other people now are starting to use the old heritage rice seed from you know hundreds of years ago that's been promoted by a wonderful guy called Chakra Waida, who 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 helped us when we were setting up ten years ago. He's a permaculture, a Balinese permaculturist, and has you know convinced a lot of the rice farmers in Jatilaway, which is world heritage, um, which is a world heritage area, to grow the the heritage um, red rice and the mangkok. There's a they've actually developed a, a, a white strain because the Balinese don't like eating the, the brown or the red rice. Right. Uh, that, that that grows nearly as quickly as the Monsanto rice. It takes a it takes a month longer. Um, for instance, we're growing the heritage red rice at the moment, and it's you know it's instead of three and a half months, it's nearly five and a half months. So whereas the Mancock is is four months. So right, um, right. So if you're mass and, producing rice, then obviously there's like a financial. Yeah. So we we can't convince them, or even though they get twice as amount, twice as twice the amount for the for the for the organic or supposed organic red rice, they they you know you only get two crops a year, so they're just not interested because they can right. get three, sometimes four. Um, so right. they, you know, it's right. very just, hard to convince them otherwise. Yeah, just going back to something you said a second ago, it was about um, not buying the land off the locals because it was unethical. Is that what you said? Yes, yes. Right, so, so you currently rent the land off the locals. What's the setup there? Because I know with sustainable tourism, you really need to include the community and make them more or less stakeholders in what you're doing. So I don't know if there's like, a, you know, some of the money filters back into these communities. You said you contribute to the local councils. 
you're obviously yeah, yeah, i'm guessing you're like renting the land so you're paying them rent annually or something like that along those lines yeah we pay, we we pay them an annual lease fee and we, and we pay the landowner a percentage of the profits and we can and and we collect the we pay for the rubbish to be collected in the surrounding six villages um, we support uh, we 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 pay for an English teacher and a dance teacher and a music teacher at the school and we've set up a library. So all these things are expected if, you, if you're doing the, the true eco-lodge um, experience that you, that, that you contribute um, these things to the, uh, to the community and it's sort of expected. And it's, and, it's, and it's been a great joy to do it too, you know, of course. because, you know, um, not being able to, not being able to do the, these sort of things in Australia is just you know you, you're working so hard to chase your to chase your tail. It's very difficult to sort of contribute much to the community. Whereas here, you're able to do a lot more. And it's um, it's been very very rewarding. Yeah, um, I mean just just to go and back then, to you know, and, sorry, and, go on. Sorry, I was just going to say during during the pandemic, we've because we haven't had any guests and we've you know grow. We we were able to give 300 kilos of rice to the village. And they know they can come down and pick veggies whenever they want um, because we've got such an excess. So oh, right. you know, and that's been a great thing to be able to do as well. Yeah, no, the, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, I think that's great. I don't think, I don't think people understand that when, when, once you're in sustainable tourism or you're running an eco lodge, the importance of actually making sure that the, the income that you generate is, is shared or actually contributes to the local community that you're that you're part of, you know, and uh, and I think that gets kind of missed yeah. in translation a lot of the time, where where people just will whack an eco lodge label on in reception or on their Instagram profile, and that's the end of it. But so much actually goes into integrating yourself and being part of that community and making sure that they're they're also part of your business, I suppose. But just going back to your your like motivation, obviously you you left Australia, you you worked you know thirty odd years. The global financial crisis hit; things got a little bit more difficult or challenging. You had this lifestyle change, but at that point you really could have done anything, right? So you could have just opened up a normal hotel anywhere in the world, but you kind of went down this sustainable path, this eco path. Uh, was there something that was that something that you intentionally set out to do? Was it something that because it aligns with your values, or you just saw a, like an opportunity or a trend, or why was the eco part of it or the sustainable part of it so important to you? Well, I guess um, in in my twenties, I sort of sailed off from Hobart, from Hobart after on a on a on a maxi ocean racer from after the Sydney Hobart yacht race, and spent a couple of well three years on this boat sailing around the world and, and taking it to various races for the owners, um, uh, and I had a taste of um, travelling and meeting different people and living on um, living on the boat, but going to various islands and things, and I I really got into the you know, going up through New Guinea and Micronesia and in, into, the, into the Philippines, just the, um, living amongst the, the indigenous people, um, it sort of struck me how they lived. And I, um, yeah, I guess that's when it started. And then, you know, we, we, we took the boat to America and um, had, and we raced the boat over, over there for a while. And then I got really sick. And um, and the owners took me to a to a holistic chiropractor in um, Sausalito in California, and I actually lived with him for quite a while. And he put me on fasts, and um, he was an osteopath. His name is Richard Diamond. He's quite quite a well known 
um, osteopath, chiropractor. Anyway, I I came back to Australia uh, quite still still not still not a hundred percent and uh, learned about fasting and diet and um, juicing and vegetarianism and ended up you know when I finally got my health pretty much back together again I opened up a health food shop in 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 the university district in Tasmania and that became really successful and I opened up one in the city and so that's when it that's when it started so. Um, and then after a while, uh, I became ill again through working too hard and playing too hard too, probably, and uh, ended up getting sick. Uh, I moved to Byron Bay and got my health back together again. And um, I guess that's that's when I finally moved to Noosa and started working in in uh, restaurants. And um, so yeah, I mean it's. It's it's been an interest, and you know, living in Tasmania with the with the incredible fresh food and fresh air, and um, and when I had the health food shop, um, we we supplied all the food for the um, Franklin River blockade. So I was you know involved in sort of act activism and uh, health foods and vegetarianism from you know when when I when I was in my late twenties. So it's been filtered through, uh, and then. Finally, when I moved to Bali, it just all clicked in the, everything sort of clicked. And that's, that's um, when I finally doing what I really, you know, wanted to do for a long time. And my wife's been incredibly, she's a permaculturist. So, um, and my son's really interested in moving back to Bali now that he's finished his high school years. So it's all sort of gelled and, and worked out really well. Yeah, so it's so not just a, yeah, it's not just a business for you. It's a, there is a deeper purpose and meaning and, and it really is like an yes. extension, oh, yeah, extension yeah, yeah. of your I mean, values I mean, and your beliefs. But listen, it's been a fabulous business. I mean, you follow your heart and things just fall into place. I can't, I can't, you know, um, because the business has been so successful, we've been able to, you know, contribute to, contribute to the community in a, in, in a, you know, very, quite a substantial way, which has been, which has been great, which, you know, the, I wasn't able to do that in Australia. It was just too, too challenging. And, you know, but so it's been a you know, fabulous move. And uh, I just feel really grateful for, for just you know for so many blessings really yeah yeah i mean as i mentioned before i've stayed with you so um and it was quite an experience actually i, I took a group through and and you know just trying to explore what it means to live a natural life you know and and i think people romanticize the idea of nature but they don't realize that it can be a little bit harsh sometimes i mean i love your property i mean but but the idea of kind of waking up with no windows and no doors and the jungle is just like there staring at you as soon as you wake up in the morning and then you're hearing like little sounds of things creeping around outside or whatever else uh it took a little bit of getting used to and i think people were freaked out a little bit at first but two or three days in you kind of like become part of that environment uh it's quite interesting but but i am interested in kind of like maybe talking about the property itself a little bit and uh and i remember i said man there's john there's no windows and doors here the mosquitoes are going to eat me alive and you were like no we've got running water they lay eggs and the water's kind of the the eggs run downstream with the water like so you don't get actually a lot of mosquitoes here so i kind of sense that a lot of that those little details are by design you know whether it's the location or you've really thought it out i mean you've got the permaculture garden i mean you could have gone with something monoculture but you've gone with permaculture for a specific reason we can talk about that the actual materials you use in the building of the bungalows the way the bungalows are situated and just the whole setup i i think 75 percent of your food comes directly from the garden um yeah and 
and just the whole setup was really well thought out and really, really well planned. So maybe you could talk us through the kind of inspiration behind the property, maybe the design of the bungalows, uh, why you kind of, or maybe some of these little design details that people don't think about. Like, for example, I don't know if the mosquito thing for me was just like, how can you be in the jungle and not get eaten alive by mosquitoes? You know, like, um, it was like eye-opening for me. So I don't know if you'd like pre-thought a lot of that stuff when you were setting it up or whether it kind of just fell into place like that or not. But if you can tell us a little bit about the, the property, the inspiration behind it, the permaculture, the whole permaculture design uh, of your gardens um, and the bungalows themselves, you know, that, and how they're situated, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, the whole... The, the, the the whole of the property was is, is based on permaculture principles and you know permaculture was was designed by by a fellow tasmania called bill bill mollison who is no longer with us and um so my wife had had before we moved over, over did a did a permaculture course with uh, bill's right hand man um jeff lawton in in the shannon in in the northern rivers and then Norm, who helped us put the whole thing together from the Sarambrawana Eco Lodge, he's a permaculturist. And then we had uh, Chakra, who I mentioned before, who's the Balinese permaculturist. So we had all these incredible people helping us out. And, um, you know, permaculture is, you know, is, is living with, with your environment and not, not changing the contour of the land. Um, it's it's building with natural materials. It's not not using any um, chemicals or pesticides. We'll help you, for instance, we had a barley pig that dug up all the vegetable garden for us. Um, <laughs> we and, and and there were a lot of you know we we sort of learned a lot of lessons on the way. We for instance we we built most of the bungalows out of coconut wood from the property. I think that was a really sensible, sustainable thing to do, but. Uh, it hasn't been, and uh, during this pandemic, we've had to replace a lot of the buildings because using the wood from the property, uh, the uh, ins the local insects know the wood and love it, so mm. uh, they've managed to to, <laughs> to eat. So now we've to use different wood and rebuild. So that's been a big lesson, um, thinking that we were we were being really smart. And I mean, the the openness of the bungalows has been an issue for some people, uh, but now we've explained the whole thing very detailed on the front page of the website, so so you pretty much know your experience, and we and we are not on any um, online travel agents anymore because um, we had a reasonable amount of trouble with that, so you can only book direct, um, and you know having. Having had the 12, with a 12 metre waterfall, we can produce most of our own electricity. So all these things fit into the whole permaculture design and, and having spring water around. Um, we only have one pump that pumps um, the water from the main spring up, up to the top of the property into various tanks and all the rest of the water is just gravity fed to all the bungalows and to the veggie gardens, etc. cetera. Um, and we use the swale system was another permaculture system for growing the veggies so there's not a huge runoff problem the uh, water accumulates at the back of the gardens in in the swales and gradually seeps down into the into the various gardens um, and of course all the bungalows are open and facing where the um, local breeze comes through so we haven't haven't we, we don't need air conditioners or don't even need fans actually at night it gets quite cool 
Um, so all so the bungalows are designed with permaculture principles involved, in, and the wastewater systems are again we use permaculture wastewater gardens. So the um, grey and black water goes into a tank and then gradually leaches out into these wastewater gardens where we where we grow all our flowers, um, gingers and heliconias, etc. For the for the bungalows and the restaurant, um, yeah. So we're we're treading as lightly as possible, and um, yeah, it seems to work really really well. Um, yeah. it's a, I mean, it's an the, amazing. Yeah, I was just going to say with the with the whole permaculture approach, it it really is just a whole ecosystem where everything works well together. You know. Yes. Yeah. And I think. Bill, Bill Mollison spent a lot of time in Asia as a young lad traveling. And I think that's where he, he, he learned a lot of his stuff and then he just honed it in. And it's now, you know, it's a worldwide, you know, uh, every, second every second small hotel these, uh, these days that's opening up in Bali is putting in a permaculture system or at least a permaculture garden. So it's, you know, it's becoming quite huge and there are some fabulous courses around that you can do and uh, well, all over the world now. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a huge movement, yeah. Whereas 10 years ago when we started, it was just sort of starting off here. Um, although Norm had been doing it for quite some time. Um, yeah, so, and there's one of the, one of the leading experts is living in Bali, quite close to us actually. And he's, you know, he's done work for Bill Gates. Um, um, so yeah, it's becoming huge. That's for sure. Yeah. Um... I guess a lot of people that uh, that tend to come to Bali, I mean, stay in the main centres, like like I mentioned before, Seminyak, Changu, uh, Ubud. Um, but then you have people that, that do come up and stay with you. So I guess it'll be nice to get an idea of, you know, what kind of people come and hang out. Um, do, you see the, do you see a lot of return visitors or is it the kind of thing that people will go and do once as a bit of an adventure and then, you know, you never see them again? Like what motivates people to kind of want to come and stay with you? And then what kind of feedback are you getting once they're actually leaving? Like, uh, especially the first time as that have never like stayed in an open eco lodge type before in, in a permaculture kind of jungle, I suppose. Um, yeah. Do you get a sense of what motivates people to want to come and stay at these type of places? Is it kind of like a, just a trend that's happening right now or are, are people really, really understanding and appreciative of what you're trying to do over there? No. Yeah. I mean, most people now really, you know, you know, because we're we're um we're not on the on online travel agents, and and then I'll only use travel agents that have actually been here to stay, so they know know what they're letting their guests in for. Yeah, right. Um, and and you know, most people do do a bit of homework, and and they want to go away and and, and they have an experience because they know coming here they they'll they'll be going to ceremonies and they want to get some fresh air. You know, a lot of them still do the Seminyak, you know, Changu. Iluwatu thing, but they want a few days break, or they might be going up to do some scuba diving, or go up, or going west, and they'll stop here on the way. Um, and over the last few years, we've been doing more and more retreats, and uh, of course, it's it's the ideal place for for a retreat because you really are retreating, and, and there's no shops around, so people can really get stuck into their yoga and meditation, or you know whatever the retreat um, um, facilitators concentrating on um so you know it's quiet and uh you know i mean of course we still get some people that find it a bit confronting but as you say after a couple of days they're fine and uh we do get a lot of return 
we have people that have been coming for you know eight or nine years now every year and quite a quite a lot of the retreat people have, have been here five six seven times mm. they come every year um so yeah it's um it's not everyone's cup of tea, but if you, you know, if you're wanting something different and want to immerse yourself in the Balinese culture um, and have a break from the from the busyness of down south, well, then it's you know it's the perfect spot. Yeah, I mean, it's not just that. I, I mean, the feedback I had with the with the people I was staying with was well, it, it was a little bit confronting. Um, I kind of tried to prepare them, so just managing expectations and said, look, it, we are exploring the natural life. This is nature, uh, you know. Um, and it was a little bit confronting initially, but by the end of it, they're like, wow, like, wow, like I've, I've really, really been missing out. And it's just the way that after a day or two of, you know, you, you're usually stuck to your phone and everything, but just after a day or two, you kind of become part of the environment. And it's kind of like uh, you become integrated, you know, as part of that whole environment. And and by the end of it, you really don't want to leave, you know. So, uh, so I got really, really good feedback, although some people did find it confronting initially. Uh, they were very, very grateful and, and thankful that they did it. So, um, so I imagine other people will probably experience um, a lot of the same things. But generally with travel, are you seeing a trend towards more conscious, sustainable eco-travel? Like, do you, think, do you see that trend growing? Like, is, is, it, is it a thing that you've noticed a difference, or say, over the last 10 years or so? Is it becoming more prevalent or... Uh, or a- oh yeah, I mean you 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 just have to see all the new hotels um, opening up and you know um, having building areas that that you can do yoga in and having you know extensive gardens and uh, and our business has grown exponentially over the last ten years. Um, uh, yeah, it's been I mean it's been quite amazing, and so you know people people and I think. You know that they still, as I mentioned, they still like to like a bit of like the shopping, and they like going to Woolworth, and they like going to the main, you know, the big temples. I mean, the the only issue staying out here for any, you know, you for your whole stay in Bali, you, it, it it it's a bit restricted if you're wanting to have a look around and go to the main temples and have a look around the island because it's a it's a bit of an effort to you know it's ninety minutes to Semenyak or one hour to Changu and it's 90 minutes to Ubud uh, and the road, the roads are pretty, pretty rough. Um, but that's part of the adventure, I guess. But, you know, for some people, it's a bit extreme. Um, but there, but is a lot definitely, of, there, there is a lot to do yeah. there. I mean, we were never bored. So I don't know, like maybe you want to like go over some of the activities because I mean, there's food forests, there's hiking, you've got two waterfalls on the actual. Yeah, well, I mean, you can, you, can, you can climb to the top of the mountains stay overnight if you wish. That's a really, it's quite an, it, it's an amazing climb. You're going through four different areas of uh, vegetate completely different areas of vegetation from moss groves to you know pandanus palm forests to fern forests and then you crawl up to the top and you've got this amazing vista and you can see all you can even see the volcanoes in java and uh, and the um and renjani and lombok um and there are three different walks up the mountain and we have seven different walks around around the resort that um three of them are uh, you can go on your own and the others you probably need a guide but um there's um yeah and we you know there's the cultural activities in the village you can go and spend spend a morning or an afternoon in, in summer in you know village life is explained to you um we're now doing a there's a holy spring close by we can take you down and the, with a local priest and he'll give you a blessing at the local spring, which is something new that we've just, just organized. And there are many, many workshops 
Um, we can, there's offering making workshops and for the kids, you can make a shelter, um, you do a carving for the older kids, uh, basket weaving, uh, cooking classes, of course, um, rice planting, uh, and then every guest is, is uh, if, if they wish, we, we take them on an hour's tour around the permaculture garden and explain all the permaculture principles to the guests. Um, and then all the, all the girls in the kitchen are very chatty and they love having a talk and, and probably invite you home. Um, and same with, same with, same with the guides. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a very encompassing, uh, process and there's, and there's lots of things to do, you know, and, you know, a lot of people still go out on day tours and, um, they, um, might go down to the local surf beach, which is Balian beach, which is quite a well-known surf beach or even up to Dowie, which is about an hour away, which is another fabulous surf spot. Um, and then they're all the huge waterfalls which are up up in the north but that's a full day tour mm. and we do you know you can climb mount batur they'll come and pick you up here and take you for a sunrise um trek up mount batur and drop you off at midday the next day which is quite a long day um but yeah there are lots and lots of things to do and um or you can just chill and relax there are rock pools going for you know one kilometer either side of us and then there's our own 12 meter waterfall, which is now blocked off to the general public. So it's only for guests. Um, and that's, you can have a private picnic down there if you wish, and we'll block it off from other guests while you have your picnic. Um, so yeah, yeah I mean, there's lots there was, of stuff to do. Yeah, I mean, there was no shortage of things to do. And, and I think what, what we found nice as well is, I mean, you've got a lot of li villages there with a lot of drivers and you know, you've got your drivers. And so if you actually want to organize one of these day tours or whatever else, we just, you just, we tell you guys and you pretty much organize everything for us. So yeah. it was really, we, really convenient. You know, we Even airport to... pickups and everything like that. Yeah. And we, we farm those out to the villages because we, you know, we try and give as much business as we can. You know, we, we're doing well out of the, out of food and accommodation. So we don't need to also make money out of transfers mm -hmm. and, and workshops. We, um, we, we get all the villages to take the workshops and, uh, they do the driving as well and the tours and um, yeah. So yeah, it's worked out really well. Yeah. And then we can take you to the local school and show you around the school. Um, and you know, on Friday afternoons they have music and dance and you can join in. Um, so yeah, it's, um, there's, there's lots of stuff to do and, uh, and, and, and the local community is very much involved in, in, in what we're doing. All right. Just before we finish up, John, uh, I really appreciate your time. I know, uh, I know you're. I'm taking you away from your waterfalls at the moment, so, so I don't want to. I don't want to keep. I don't want to keep it too long. To, just about to bucket down. The the, the uh, wet season here has really started. In, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you still get beautiful mornings during the wet season, but it usually rains quite prolifically for an hour or two in the afternoon. No, it's nice. Uh, I mean, it's a bit of a. It's a bit I really enjoyed it. Any yeah. excuse for a nana nap, which is probably what I'll do after the fall. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, you know, with the rainfall, you get a bit of a cleansing, which is always nice as well. But just before yes. we finish up, just a just a couple of points. I mean, I, I do speak to a lot of people at the moment. Um, I have friends and and even people like uh, within my network and guests that I've I've hosted before. And and a lot of people are thinking about this getting off the grid lifestyle. I mean, it's not completely off the grid where you're at at the moment, um, in the truest sense. But it it is very much that type of lifestyle but they are looking for those not so much just sea change but a tree change you know they, they want to get their piece of land they want to kind of be out of the cities they want to be able to control their own food supply they want 
that autonomy, that independence, you know, with even with energy, with solar and, you know, close to local water. I mean, that really is where the value is, the ability to grow your own food and live off your own land. You know, because if all these supermarkets shut down because they're not an essential business, then you're screwed. Like, where are you going to get your food from? So I think there is this growing realization that people do want to do that increasingly. And I get approached about it all the time, like people wanting to get off the grid or buy a piece of land or set something up or whatever it might be. But I guess from someone who's already done it, um, I mean, do you have like some advice? It's like, is it a, a straight out go for it? Is it be weary? Is it think about how you want to approach this thing? Is it like, look, this is the way of the future, you know, start planning towards this. Like, do you have any advice for people? Is there a right time? Is there a right age? Um, is there a right way to go about it if people are considering getting off the grid or getting out of the cities and, and making this lifestyle change? Do you have any advice for these type of people so, as someone who's already done it and been through it? Yeah, I guess, um, I guess there's certainly no no age limit i mean i was you know 55 55 when we when we made the jump um but i guess especially going to a different country um i mean i i couldn't have afforded to have done what 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 we've done here in australia with all the rules and regulations um so it was much easier and you've you know much easier with the cost of materials and cost of labor and you know, my only advice is to do your homework first to make sure that you're welcomed in the area and that you've got all the right visas and things. And um, and if you're doing an eco business, of course, you would, you know, lease the land, you wouldn't buy it um, if, if you're following the eco ethos. Um, so, yeah, just and be really patient because and especially in a different country, you've got to, you know, think things in Indonesia happen a lot slower than they would uh, for instance, in Australia. So you have to be patient and go easy to begin with and try and, you know, learn the culture. And, and of course, if you can learn, learn the language or learn the basics of the language always really helps. Um, and they, you know, in it, the indigenous people really appreciate that you've made the effort to learn the language, uh, which is something that I have, that I, um, luckily, my son picked Balinese and Indonesian up really, really quickly. I was a lot slower and, and my wife was hands on in the garden so she could speak Indonesian. Um, so that that really helped. But yeah, patience and doing your homework. And um, yeah, as a, um, as a, the, as a lifestyle change, though, like as a lifestyle change, it's, it's been something positive for you, right? Like it's not something that you regret. You wouldn't look back and do it differently oh. if, you, if you had to do it again. It, look, it's, it's the best thing I've ever done. And uh, I mean, I, I sort of went to a workshop and, and, and did a meditation. And that was when it, that was when it hit me to, 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 to go on that trip around Australia, which, which led us here. So I guess I, I was searching for something. You know, I knew I couldn't work in, in, in restaurants for much longer physically or, you know, mentally. Um, and so I went to this, I went to a workshop um, with, with this amazing guy that, that taught us how to meditate. And that, um, that's when it, that's during that meditation, while I was doing that three-day um, retreat, that's when it hit me to go around Australia. So I guess just to being open and, you know, following your heart. And, you know, if you, if you, if you, if you feel strongly about something and I really think you've got to follow it, you can't, you know, but I, but I guess you have to be ready and open and, you know, and I just let the whole thing fall into place. And it did, you know, I mean, went on a trip around Australia and ended up living up, living in Bali because we were open to anything that came along. And uh, Norm and Linda were there in Kakadu and, um, 
we just followed that along and here we are. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, something said uh, earlier was interesting where you said, look, if you follow your heart, things just fall into place. So I imagine when, once you made the decision, you didn't know all the details on the ins and outs. You kind of have this intuitive sense that, okay, I need to go this way and then trusted that things will fall into place. And and they did, I mean. Yeah, the, yeah there was trust. I mean, you've got to have, I mean, <laughs> luckily it all worked out well. I mean, I'm not quite sure what we would, because we sold everything in Australia. Like, I wow. mean, everything. Um, and... Uh, and put it all into here so it would have been interesting if it um but you know it's it's been the best thing i've ever done and um did your family and friends think you're mad well i think yeah i think well mostly uh, they if they did they sort of were whispering it behind their, <laughs> but i think mo mo most people were really supportive i think yeah and you know everyone well not everyone loves bali but you know most australians have been to bali and it's and it just seemed like I've, I've got friends that's, that, that, that went to Madagascar and, and sort of started up a business and he's, he's been there for 20 years and been struggling a bit because it's so hard to get to. Whereas Bali, you know, it's close to Australia and people from all over the world come here. So you've got that base of, of business that, you know, before the pandemic, mm. pandemic was growing and growing and growing. So when you look at the numbers, it, was a, it, it, it wasn't a silly move. Right. Um, and I, and you know, my friend in Madagascar, uh, he, his, his drive was because of the incredible biodiversity over there, and uh, it is the most extraordinary place. But you know, very difficult to get to, and not a lot of tourists go there. <laughs> but he's still there, and um, so, and he was following his, you know, he just mm. followed his passion for, you know, plants and animals. Well, plants basically. He was a palm, a nut, a palm nut. Um, he actually set up the Palmetum in at the Townsville Botanical Garden. So, um, right. yeah, it's just interesting when you have a passion, you, um, and I can't say that I was, you know, totally passionate about starting up an eco-lodge, but watching Norm and Linda do what they did, it just resonated with us and it re resonated with my wife and um, they were amazingly helpful to us. So there you go. So there was some sensibility um, behind your decision-making process, although that you, you did follow your heart. Yeah, you, I mean, you well, thought I, it through, you know. Thought it through a bit, you know, that uh, I could I, I could see that, you know, my friend in Madagascar had been struggling, um, whereas I knew there was a much better chance of making a go of it in Bali. But that wasn't a major consideration. It was the sort of lifestyle change right. and, um, yeah. But, of course, every I mean, you know, sustainability is not just about, you know, treading lightly on the earth it's also being financially sustainable as well so yeah, you, you know that's a that is a big consideration to, to you know think about yeah it makes total sense i mean you certainly offer something different and it's certainly a different way to experience bali i, I think a, i don't know a more meaningful way i suppose to experience bali so I, I certainly encourage anyone that hasn't stayed with you uh to check it out um but just before we finish up if you want to if you want to give the place a plug i mean it is bali eco stay and you do have a website i think it's bali eco stay.com yeah we, we have a website at um www.baliecostay.com and um all, all all the details are on there uh and there's phone numbers you can ring me whatsapp and have a chat anytime um i'm only happy to um talk and, and, uh, we, you know, and you said that they won't find you on booking.com or anything like that. Best thing to do is book. With no, you. no, we're not on booking.com or Agoda or Priceline or any of those online travel agents. We decided to um, give them a miss because we're, you know, specialized and we were having, you know, a, a, 
a, um, a few issues with, with guests that were a little bit surprised when they got here that there are you there's know no, no door the no shower is out the, the shower is outdoors there's no window yeah, out, out in the open and, and and so and plus they you know they're fairly ruthless um, they they actually treat the guests reasonably well but if but if you're a hotelier they they really you know oh these big companies you mean. Them. Yes, they're, they're ruthless. They really are. Yeah, right. Uh, and they undercut you. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a tough game. And, you know, most of them don't, don't pay tax in the countries where they are. And I know that I know the booking.com and Agoda don't pay tax you know, in, in uh, Indonesia. They've got all these shelf companies that it's, oh, right. it's just not, it's just not, and that, yeah, it's just not. So, so it wouldn't um, just be for you then. I think if people want to stay somewhere, then the best way to do is contact the property directly. It's really helping out the hotel. Yes, game. and then you can always get prices from these people. And, you know, if you book direct and ask for extras, you know, we'll always throw things in if you book direct because, you know, you're saving 20% commission. Oh, is that how much people. they take? That's how much they take. So at least 20%. So um, we're only too happy to throw things in to, you know, for the you know for the uh, privilege of booking direct because you know we don't have to pay those those big commissions massages you know free meal picnic what you know whatever brilliant brilliant only too happy johnny i really really appreciate your time i'm going to get this out into the universe i will put your website in the in the episode link as well so people can click through directly to your website uh any parting words last words i i am planning on bringing a group back through with you soon <laughs> as soon as he's covered thing honestly that because the first time i think people freaked out they were like they like the idea of this natural thing and then once they got there they're like oh hold on what is this um it grew on them but obviously from from my perspective i need to really really prepare people like you said it's just about managing expectations but it is really yeah. really a life-changing experience so i certainly recommend it i will be bringing uh, groups through with you again once this whole thing um and ends hopefully we've turned the corner yeah, but, but, uh, yeah and i mean look i think it's nice to sort of split it up a bit too you know you can have a have half the time in Ubud or and half the time with us because then they're getting a chance to yeah. see the um to watch the dancers and um, yeah for sure you know, I, I like the of... idea of like staying in one location for a period of time you just get to immerse yourself yeah well you can really time. settle in then that's yeah that's instead of sure. jumping on buses or or car yes up and down you know all the time yeah. just it's, it's just a much more meaningful experience but yeah any last words for anyone out there no, but we'd, we'd love to show you around and um, show you this stunning part of Bali. It's really a different, and it's uh, Bali like it used to be. And uh, the locals are just really lovely, warm, welcoming people. And um, I can assure you, you'll, you, you'll, leave, you'll leave with a lot of love and warmth in your heart. Johnny, you're an absolute legend. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, enjoy the rains. Enjoy the waterfalls. Enjoy, yes, enjoy your afternoon nap. <laughs> and we'll definitely keep, we'll keep, we'll keep in touch. Thanks so we'll, much, Michael. We'll look, chat soon. Look, Cheers, look mate. Looking forward to hosting you again at some stage. Cheers, mate. Likewise. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye, John. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.